again and welcome to At Home with Lauren Keenan, your authority on home, lifestyle and interior design. I'm Lauren Keenan, I'm an interior stylist and podcast host and this show is about helping you create a home that you truly love. I work with different people in a range of different homes, some big, some small, different styles and different ways of living. But one thing that every home needs is lighting and like so many things in interior design, it can be about both form and function. What I want to focus on today is something that I get asked about a lot, and that's functional lighting for kitchens and bathrooms. These task areas of our homes are really high traffic, and getting functional lighting wrong in these key rooms can turn our everyday tasks into a whole lot of hard work. So I've got some thoughts that I want to share, and I'm going to bring in a professional architectural lighting designer as well. In the meantime, if you need help updating your home with renovations or even building something new from scratch, I can help you with colour and materials. I can help with choosing furniture and decor and finishes that will work for you and your family. Check out my website, laurenkeenan.com.au for more info and send me a message on the contact page. But now let's get into my chat with Mandy Contos, lighting designer from Beacon Lighting and consultant on the hit TV series, The Block, to talk about the do's and don'ts for task lighting in your bathroom and kitchen. On At Home with Lauren Keenan, your authority on home, lifestyle and interior design. Welcome to the show, Mandy. Thanks, Lauren. How are you going? Really well, thanks. Look, you are an architectural lighting designer at Beacon Lighting. So I thought we might start off by you telling our listeners a little bit about what you do, because some of them may not have heard of that job title before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've only just recently been promoted up to this position, so um, it's a bit exciting. But basically, I work with clients at the Beacon Design Studio and I help them light their homes from scratch. So essentially, if they've got new builds, we sit down one-on-one, go through each room um, and look at the lighting, have a look at all of the downlights, all of the um, pendants and stuff like that, and kind of get a picture together. And basically, I'm there for the whole project. So from the moment clients liaise with me to book a consult, I'm there all the way through. Even once everything is all installed and stuff like that, we're still there helping to service everything. Um, If anything goes wrong, not that it will, but essentially I'm the key person that's in charge of the lighting for their houses. Wow. And so how did you, how did you get into doing this? Have you worked for Beacon for a little while? Um, I've been at Beacon for five years, but I actually kind of just stumbled into it. I'm um, actually a writer by trade. So I um, have done all of my studying in writing and just stumbled along it and the training that Beacon have given has been next level and I've, I've been able to actually really get quite far um, quite quickly just because it's it's so interesting and I love being able to flex that creativity of being able to help clients and even people on the shop floor light their houses in unique ways because it's just there's so much that you can do with lighting that people just miss. Oh, absolutely. Look, and something funny to tell you, I actually used to be a writer and I also used to work at Beacon Lighting many years ago. Stop it. I did. When I was first starting my design business, I uh, worked at Beacon for a little while and just sort of did that part-time. Yep. And it was actually a really great way to learn more about lighting and I sort of have found that an invaluable set yeah. of skills as I've sort of moved forward with my design business. Amazing. So thanks to thanks to Beacon Lighting for that. What store did you work at? <laughs> I was at Alexandria in Sydney. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So look, what I thought we could talk about today are two heavy hitters in the house, yep. the kitchen and the bathrooms. Yep. I think these are two areas where we do most of our tasks. We're, we're cooking or we're putting on makeup. 
things that require us to be able to see the things that we're doing. And yet I find that they're the rooms where people often get their lighting wrong. So I wondered if you could talk us through some of the mistakes that you see um, people make in kitchens and bathrooms when it comes to their lighting. With kitchens, probably we'll start with that first. Predominantly people tend to think okay cool we'll put pretty lights and that's kind of it they don't really think about how much they'll actually use it and using the different layers of lighting so essentially there are three different kinds there's the general lighting the task lighting and the ambient lighting and the general lighting is the the downlight of the space essentially so that is the one that you turn on for that little bit of light where you need everything to be seen. Then there's the task lighting, which generally um, sometimes can be in the form of strip lighting under cabinets. Um, it can even be the, the pendants, depending on what you pick. That generally is the, the light that gives you the most visibility for doing your tasks. So essentially, you know, chopping food, cooking, stuff like that. And then there's the ambient lighting, which is almost like the jewelry of the room. So it gives you that soft touch where if it's an open plan living area, which a lot of the houses are these days, it's that little bit of light that ends up staying on while you're watching the telly or something like that. And it's that that subtle flicker of light that's above a cabinet, that's underneath your kitchen bench, that can also be your pendants depending on um, what you've got going on on the bench and stuff like that. But essentially, if you have the three layers, you have a really well lit room that gives you lots of light to see what you're doing gives you lots of light to entertain and also gives you the ability to have that space feel really good because lighting generally it's about how you want the space to feel and then kind of work back from that. And I think we've all, um, you know, whether it's our own home before we've made some improvements or maybe, a, you know, an Airbnb, Airbnb or something like that where you've gone to like prep some food or a cheese platter or a glass of wine or something in the kitchen and you're like, where are the lights? Yeah. I can't see what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and that's because they haven't ticked off those three areas, isn't it? The Absolutely. task, general and ambient. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know like in my house, um, it's actually my fiance's home, but working on changing the lighting in there. But at the moment, um, the bench light, it, it's very minimal. So one of the things that I plan to update is actually pop proper light over the benches and stuff like that. And I've had like in previous apartments where, I've had to figure out which side of, you know, the bench with the downlights needs to be on so that I can see exactly what I'm doing and stuff. So stuff like that in mind also make sure that when my clients come to me, I'm like, what are we doing with the bench? And they're like, oh, you know, we're using it this, this, in this way. And I'm like, great, this is what we need to do for it so that you can actually have it functional. And what about some of the errors that people make in bathrooms? We're going to get onto the the right stuff soon, but what what are some things, some horror stories you've seen or heard? (sighs) Downlights above basins drive me nuts. Um, the, the shadowing for, you know, when you're trying to do your makeup is it's hard. So generally things that, um, you know, you don't have enough light and then you don't see where you need the light. So essentially, you know, if you're in the shower and there's a down light that's off to the right versus closer to the left, it it makes it quite difficult if you're trying to shave your legs or something like that. Like, you know, you, (laughs) you miss bits and stuff. So it's, it's just making sure that you have, all of the spaces kind of worked out and, and you know, the worst possible thing is to have not enough light in a bathroom where you need a lot of light. 
Exactly. Well, look, we've covered off then some of the things not to do yep. or things that you want to fix. Let's get on to how we do it right. Yeah. So let's start with the kitchen. If you're doing a new build or a full reno, you've got lots of flexibility, which is great. So what's the best way to plan out a lighting scheme? What do you need as a lighting designer? If a client comes in, what do they need to bring with them? Where, where do you actually start? So essentially, I like to ask clients to bring in samples of their bench tops, their cupboards and cabinetry and stuff just because depending on the kind of sheen that's on cabinets and and whatnot can actually determine on where you actually place the lighting and how much light's in the space Mm because things that have a matte finish tend to absorb the light so that it might be a matter of actually making sure that you have light down um, on your benches versus pointed at the cabinets. Um, If it's a bit shinier, it does then reflect off of it. But essentially I like to make sure that clients have light above or behind their sink, mostly in like above their sink because there's nothing yep. worse than trying to wash dishes and accidentally cutting yourself. Um, exactly. I like to also add extra light behind the stove because even though you've got the stove top and your range hood, it's always nice just to have a little bit more light. Strip lighting underneath cabinetry is a really great option to give you workable light at your bench. Um, and then generally with your pendants, depending on the look and the feel, it's finding something that's quite functional Um, or if they want something that isn't functional and is quite pretty is then just making sure that there's enough downlights to kind of counteract that. And it's also looking at the different kinds of downlights because that is essentially what will make or break the space depending on whether you have, um, there's two different kinds of chips and there's one chip that is quite diffused and one that's a little bit more kind of focused so it gives you better light at your bench. Yeah. So what we're talking about there is for, for listeners who may may not be familiar with that is is how much the light spreads across the space. Um, that whether it's a sharp beam that comes down, as you said, in a really focused area for chopping onions or fruit or whatever, yeah. or one that just covers a greater area. Yeah. What I see a lot is people putting all their kitchen lights on one switch. So they turn <laughs> on their light and like the whole room lights up like Luna Park. That we don't need to do that, do we? No, no. I, one of my things I, I really love telling clients is like, tell me exactly where, what you want to be on at what time and then we can switch it separately and make sure that you have enough switches on your wall to have it. Um, and and then also go the extra step to say put dimmers on just about everything because yes, being absolutely. able to dim your light is probably the most important way to control the amount of light is in each of your spaces especially if it is more of an open plan area and you've got people maybe watching TV in the lounge room and the kitchen's adjacent and you've got all the lights on in the kitchen, it's really going to disturb that person who's trying to relax in the lounge room. You don't want glare on your TV. So like, you know, it's something that you definitely need to separately switch and make sure that you kind of work with the rest of the space. And what is the ultimate time for a lighting designer to get involved in the process? Because I know when I worked at Beacon, Beacon, people would come in with their floor plans, whatever their renovation or their new build was, and it is really important to get involved early, I think. Do you, would you agree? Absolutely. I've had clients come up where they're like, we're at lock-up stage, and I'm like, I can't help you. All of the, mm, too late. <laughs> yeah, all of the roughing in and everything's been done. So essentially um, I've had people come in as early as um, they've got their plans themselves and haven't even found a builder yet. Um, that's mm-hmm. kind of my favorite because then it's like everything's set in stone before they actually get anywhere. But anywhere between, you know, even if the slab hasn't been poured, come in and see a lighting designer because we will give you the ability to like have much more flexibility with your lighting plan and you can change things, you can add things. Um, it's quite hard as you go through and if you've roughed in to then try and 
add noggins to kind of hold the support of pendants if you want them in different places or you need um, wall lights and stuff like that. It's harder to chase cables down the wall and whatnot. So it's as early as possible is, is the best answer. And I think the thing that you want to avoid is the um, builder and the electrician perhaps making decisions about where they're going to put your lights because they don't cook in your kitchen, no. so they don't know how you're going to be using the space. Yeah. So I, I always yeah, recommend people getting in as early as possible. Yeah, yeah. Electricians, bless their little souls. They're great at doing their work, but they kind of are just really good at doing four standard downlights in a room and that's kind of it. They're like, that's it, we're good to go. And you're like, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> Um, and what uh, this is a bit controversial because speaking of electricians, they will always try and talk people into choosing a cool white yes, downlight. Yes. Um, I myself am very much a warm white person, yeah. not super yellow, but I prefer the coziness of a warm white. Yeah. A lot of guys prefer a cool white. Yeah. Where do you think kitchens sit? What's look? What do most people do, and what do, what are your thoughts? Technically, it's supposed to be cool white because it's a task orientated space, and that's what they kind of drum into us, but personal preferences I have probably done only one of my lighting plans in cool white and I predominantly do warm white without like I don't even second guess it I'm like so we're doing warm white yeah and they're like yep cool and I'm like great so generally warm white makes a space feel quite homey quite lived in versus something that's quite clinical quite hospital like Mm. Um, and once people kind of start looking at um, I guess that in terms of lighting they're like oh no no we don't want that clinical kind of cool white We want something that's quite soft, quite warm, um, so people then tend to go with the warm white. Yeah, good choice. I always go warm white. Yeah. So next thing I wanted to pick your brain about is pendants in a kitchen because when I talk to my clients who are doing a kitchen renovation, it's – it's the first thing that springs, often one of the first things that springs to mind, aside from picking their cabinet colours and bench tops, lighting is always the next thing. Yeah. But they often forget about their downlights. They expect me just to work that out for them. But, but pendant lights over the island is still very popular, I yeah. think. Do you see most clients still wanting to have a pendant over the island? Absolutely. And it, it changes um, from season to season. So at the moment, um, something quite linear, quite kind of textured is very in at the moment so people tend to like having stuff quite minimal um but again so is like things with like a lot of like the wicker and the rattan so it's just personal preference on whether they want to have um a quite minimal look or something that's a little bit more kind of fancier um and have something with like you know two or three pendants it also depends on how big their bench is um so depending on people's um I guess, layouts and stuff like that. Yeah. As a rule, like if it's a three-meter bench, I try to do like three medium-sized pendants so that Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of space. But if they've got a smaller bench, you know, two is generally fine. It's completely up to, you know, the way that they want the space to look. And I often find that odd numbers seem to work better, I think. Um, I mean, sometimes there'll be a call for having two pendants, but quite often – one statement, one at the end of an island or, or three, or if you've got a massive island, yeah. then maybe you'll do five. But three tends to be kind of the perfect number, doesn't totally, it? Totally, yeah, yeah. And then what about how high should people hang the light from their bench top, from their island? Yeah. You know, how much space should they leave to the, to the bottom of the pendant? Yeah, it totally depends on the size of their ceiling and how high up it mm-hmm. is. Um, generally, there's, there's not really like a rule I always say to clients, I go, it's, it's kind of your personal preference. Like if you want to see through the pendants, you know, hang it so that it's above your head. If you've got really tall spouses, obviously yeah. that's, you know, something you've got to bear in mind as well. So it's it's more personal preference than anything. 
typically it should be so that you can't shove your fingers into the light socket but (laughs) (laughs) well nobody nobody wants to bash their head on on the pendant layer where they're cooking dinner exactly that tip about working out you know who's the tallest person in the family who's generally going to be in the kitchen and aim for sort of somewhere a little bit above their head height or maybe if they are really tall you you go for a different style of lighting absolutely yeah and if you've got if you've got like a, a a deeper bench where it's not quite you know, slim, you can afford to kind of have those hang lower because you can put them in the center of the bench where no one's going to whack their heads. And are you a fan of centering? So say you've got three pendants. Are you a fan of centering that middle pendant in the middle of the island? Or do you like to um, sort of offset them or spread them out over the length or group them more? I guess it depends on the style. I've had clients where we've actually grouped a couple of surface mounted downlights on one end and a pendant on the other end because their bench was so yeah. big. So it, it depends on how, you know, clients take it. Sometimes they like stuff to be quite symmetrical and do want them in the center. I tend to like things off center just because it's a, Me too. yeah, it's a little bit nice and I feel it's a bit more like lived in versus something that's quite kind of straight to lines. And it's, I think it's, I spend a lot of my time even with downlights and clients is telling them, you know, we can do stuff where it's not all in a line, but they're like, but we need it in a line. I'm like, you don't need it in a line. <laughs> well, because I think people forget as well that, as we were saying before, the downlights aren't all going to be turned on at the same no. time as well. So, and when they're off, especially downlights these days, they're so slimline and yes. flush basically to the ceiling that you're not um, noticing if things are a little bit Absolutely. off central. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've covered off kitchens, but I really now want to move on to bathrooms. Yep. And I want you to solve a mystery for us of where to place the downlights in the bathroom. Because <laughs> I feel like it is a mystery to a lot of people. Uh, and I want to hear from, from you as a lighting designer where we should be putting them. Yeah. It's actually really funny because one of the things that I actually do is I actually strip back light, like downlights in bathrooms because you don't necessarily need a lot essentially if there's a downlight kind of in the center of the room if you don't have like a um, heat light exhaust kind of situation going on and depending on the size of the bathroom either the center of the room or closer to the shower because generally you have or I like to work in light at the mirror so that then there is actual workable light so that when you're doing your makeup and you're shaving you have that light that's there depending on the kind of light that you pick you'll have plenty if not you know, too much light. Generally downlights, it's kind of more kind of if you've got your bath or your shower, depending on how big the bathroom is, you may only need two and then you're kind of Mm -hmm. like good to go. So I kind of do them in the centre and kind of off a little bit, but you don't really need a lot of downlights in there if you've got your workable light at your bench or your vanity. And so talking about that lighting at the at the vanity space, um, because shadows on the face for applying makeup, that's a big bugbear, isn't yeah, it, yeah. Um, for downlight placement. So where where should that downlight be placed? If we're looking at, we're standing at the vanity, we're putting our makeup on, should the light be in front of us or behind us? Should be in front of you um, to give you yeah. the best workable light. If you can't put something in front of you, there's actually a really cool trick of putting your downlight and actually focusing it and reflecting it into the mirror because once it reflects Mm -hmm. back, it actually gives you virtually no shadowing. So it's a matter of just bringing it back a little bit, focusing it in, and then you're kind of good to go. So if you have to put a downlight, that is generally the rule to go. Um, Mm -hmm. Otherwise, wall lights in front of your face, best option that you can do. 
Yeah, definitely. If you can have some either wall lights or there's some really cool mirrors these days yeah. that have sort of the makeup lighting built into them. Yeah. Uh, are they are they popular? They are really popular. Um, I know that with the ones at Beacon Range, I always tell, tell my clients to add extra light because they're they're yeah. only very soft. So, mm. you know, they're 250 lumens, which in the old school way is roughly about, you know, 20, 25 watts of brightness. So it's not necessarily enough, but it's always better to have a little bit more when you're trying to apply makeup and stuff like that. And what about then color temperature in a bathroom? So when we talk about color temperature, going back to what we were saying before about warm and cool, um, they can technically be the same um, brightness, lumens, but it's just whether you're going for the the warm or the cool undertones, what's best for for, applying makeup? Look, I I really like warm white. It's closest to um, the incandescent, which is actually a true color rendering. It's the true color. Get get technical, man. I don't want to go too technical, (laughs) but generally like lighting has a color rendering index, which essentially means that depending on where the actual um, light is, it depends on how bright and how vivid the colors actually are. So Anything that is a 3000 Kelvin, which is a a warm white, is kind of closest to incandescent, which means that it's going to be quite true to color. So there's always Mm -hmm. quite a big dilemma. And I know that when you get a whole bunch of beacon nights in a room, people will will say left and right and center that, you know, cool white's the right color to put in a bathroom. But warm white generally is kind of closer to what it is naturally the best color. Mm -hmm. A lot of mirrors and whatnot do have um, daylight and cool white as their kind of standard color um i personally would steer clear of that because there's only so much you want to like see you don't need to see everything like we don't want to see all our wrinkles exactly <laughs> all your wrinkles all your pores you'd be like oh my god not again i'm like i miss the me. hair like yeah so it's it's i go with warm white just because it's much more flattering versus the cool white yeah. where it's you know quite stark yeah, exactly. Now, we often see on TV shows and in magazines, they'll have a pendant light placed right over the top of a bathtub or a sink. But there are actually some pretty strict building codes in Australia that don't allow that kind of thing. I personally don't think pendants have much of a place in a bathroom, but some some clients still like to do it. Yeah. What, what are the rules around where you can place lights in bathrooms? So this is one of the things that I have to like... TV shows like House Rules and The Block, they're, they're really great because obviously they're getting product out there and getting more knowledge of the right lighting out, but they're really bad at teaching people bad habits of putting pendants over baths and stuff like that. It's actually illegal to do it. It has to be yes. rewired if they do do it. So, um, you know, it, it's more of a safety thing. So if it falls into a bath and, it, you know, somebody's in there, it can electrocute them and kill them um so rewiring it to be 12 volt which basically means that you know if that does happen it's a little bit of a shock versus somebody actually losing their life most electricians won't do it because it then voids a lot of the warranties with our pendants we do try our hardest with the the block and, and house rules to be like can we put it kind of off away from the bath basically just yeah if we're popping stuff over baths i would you know i generally tell clients to rethink where they want to put a pendant just because it is um, not to code and it does make it quite difficult to then get their house signed off and whatnot unless they rewire it which is a little bit more kind of trickier because it does void warranties um, and makes it a little bit harder to kind of find the right globes because there's only one specific globe and if the pendant doesn't take those globes it's quite hard to find them too bad yeah 
But I actually think there are better, more modern ways to create mood with lighting in a bathroom these days. You can really make great use of strip lighting, which you can use um, underneath the shaving cabinet if you've got like a little built out, you know, um, shelf or even underneath your vanity. And if you're having a bath and you don't want the overhead lights on, you just turn those strip lights on and it's, yeah. it's really lovely and relaxing. Absolutely. Strip light, there's so much that you can do with strip lighting that people tend to overlook because you can even put it into shower niches. Um, I did have a, a bit of a trend for a while there where people were putting cute little like um, in-ground lights in there, just behind their bar so they can kind of light the bath mm-hmm. up from the yes. back, um, which was quite nice. But there's so many different ways to kind of make a little bit of mood um, work in the space. You can also do some really cute wall lights. So I've got a couple of clients who have done um, some of our really nice kind of alabaster wall brackets um, stacked on top of each other um, just oh, wow. in, in the corner above a bath, which looks really beautiful. So, yeah. Well, Mandy, you have um, shone a light, pun intended, um, on all the things we should be looking at for our kitchen and bathroom lighting for us today. So thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to my chat with Mandy. And if you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify or on your favourite podcast platform, then you'll never miss a show. And my producer and other half Scotty isn't here today, but I'm sure he would want me to emphasise that. Please subscribe. And uh, as well as creating this podcast for you every couple of weeks, I also head up Lauren Keenan Home, my interior design and styling studio, working with people all over Australia to help them create beautiful homes for modern living. You can see my work at laurenkeenan.com.au and hit me up on the contact page if you think I can help you too. Also, we've had some lovely reviews on Apple Podcasts lately, plenty of five-star reviews, which is really nice to see. Though one person actually gave us a one-star review, so I'm going to have to go back and listen to uh, all of our previous 80-odd episodes to figure out what that's about. But if you're like the vast majority of our listeners and you like what you hear, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts to help other like-minded people find the show as well. Now, as I said, it was great chatting to Mandy Contos from Beacon Lighting today. As well as her work with lighting clients at Beacon, Mandy also consults to the contestants on The Block on Channel 9, so that must be really exciting. So I think we're going to get her back on the show in a few weeks' time to talk about the new series of the show, which is set in country Victoria for the first time. So that's going to be great. You can say hi to me on the socials anytime you like. You can find me at Lauren Keenan Home. And if you ever have any questions or maybe you've got an idea for the show, then drop me a note via the contact page on my website or find me online at Facebook or Instagram. Well, that's it for the show today. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of At Home with Lauren Keenan, your authority on home, lifestyle and interior design.